The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome to Food for Thought. Your table is now ready. Your servers will be Nate Geary and Bruce Nolan. Our specials today are cold, hard facts and fresh, hot takes. Can I get you started with... I'm sorry, just one moment. Can I get a little energy in here? it up to you live on the Buffalo Rumblings Midcast Network. I'm Bruce Nolan, that's Nate Geary, and this is Food for Thought, the show that combines two of your three favorite F-words, food and football, the third obviously being frolicking, get your mind out of the gutter. Nate, <laughs> you frolicked your way back. You frolicked your way back from New York City just in time for me to hit you with a ludicrous, a ludicrous factoid right before going live today. This year in the United States, the baby name Wanda is up 22% over last year's number, mostly due to the presence of the Disney Plus hit WandaVision. We are now getting ideas for baby names based on the TV shows that we watch. But really, that, that shouldn't be surprising. Khaleesi became a popular name when Game of Thrones was on. Does it bother you, Nate? Does it bother you how easily we are swayed in very significant life decisions like naming our children based on the character we thought was cool this one time? Please don't name your kids after TV shows. I don't I don't know how to be any more clear. It's like. I, I don't know. I don't have a good example off the top of my head because you sort of threw this one at me right before I went on air, and I'm still haven't quite wrapped my head around the fact that this is a real, this is a real thing. And I don't know who I'm more upset with, the people naming their kids Wanda or you having that information so readily available. I'm, I, I I don't know. I don't know who I'm more upset with. That's fair. That's fair. I will I will accept your hate. Okay. I will be your lightning rod of hate. If necessary, before we dive in, make sure that as we're getting seated 
for our Friday evening family meal together, Bills Mafia and NFL fans from around the world. As we're getting seated, make sure you like, subscribe, rate, review, all the stuff that engagement requires that we do. As a reminder, YouTube Super Chats get priority. We will not get to every comment. We will get to every YouTube Super Chat, but we will try to get to as many people as humanly possible. Richard Rush in the comments says, no, my mom's name is Wanda Eileen and she hates it. Come on, Eileen. Oh, your name is Wanda. Okay, anyway, we're moving along. But you know what? I have a question for you, Nate. Yeah. I was having a conversation about eggplant. Oh, not the emoji, dude, the actual get, food. Get out of my head. I was having a conversation. I also had an eggplant conversation today. Oh my gosh. Today. Okay. okay. And it led me to this topic because I thought, you know what? Eggplant is an underappreciated food. Thank I don't think we up. appreciate eggplant the way we should because nowadays it's really reverted to just being an emoji yeah. that we don't really talk about in PG conversations. That's it. It's just an emoji. I have, a, I have a feeling that there are a large portion of our population who only know what that thing is by the emoji and have never actually thought about what it actually is. It's an eggplant. And I, I got to be honest. Okay, what, what's going on over here, Nate? What's happening? I don't know if you, you having a conversation? My, my so I can't my see. Text, the, my text started with my girlfriend at 1.29 p.m. this afternoon. Uh, she says, I want to try this carré carré dish that's on this menu. And I'm reading carré carré. And it's a stew that features a thick, savory peanut sauce. I was like, yes. Oxtail. I'm like, mmm. And then I was like, eggplant. Mm. <laughs> I don't. And then, and then immediately my response was, I don't know where on earth I stand with eggplant because eggplant can be cooked so poorly. And especially fresher eggplant has a lot of moisture inside. And when you cook eggplant, it tends to, ex it tends to just kind of seep out like water and liquid. Mm. And when you are deep frying that or roasting that, Dangerous. it can become very, very, very soggy. Here's also a little food for thought. Hey. <laughs> um, my girlfriend had a recipe. Uh, we, uh, we I, I've, I've said many times, we, we get a, an urban farm chair in the summer and we pay for it. At the, in the springtime, we have fresh produce every Tuesday all summer. And then it ended like three weeks ago, right? We got a smaller sized eggplant. And if you ever like smaller eggplants tend to have a little bit more flavor in them. Um, Cause by the way, it, it, they don't really have much flavor, but the, whatever she was making, what's the Indian, it's a weird word for eggplant is the main it's like baba ganoush baba ganoush that's the word buddy thank you for having my back on that she wanted I to make you. some baba ganoush and she said i found this recipe put the whole eggplant on the grill i said put the whole eggplant okay fine sure i i don't, I, I control the grill but i have no say on what's being cooked on it or how to cook it i just i'm told put the full uncut unsliced up eggplant on the grill. This is how it says to cook it. Char it on all sides, pull it out, cut it up, do your thing, right? So I'm, you know, I put down the eggplant in the grill, close up the grill, got it on high. 
walk away, come back, open it up. Okay, it's starting to it's starting to char on this side, so I flip it over, turn it over. I'm sitting inside, and it's on the porch. I'm just watching TV, just minding my business. And I thought I heard a gunshot. You know, I'm, whoa, what was that loud bang? Is that I, you know, I'm the city of Buffalo. It's not really an area where you'd hear gunshots, but you never know. So, you know, I kind of like walked up to the porch and I looked at the grill and the grill was smoking. And I said, this is no gunshot. I opened it up and the eggplant had fully exploded, like eviscerated into hundreds and hundreds of small shard pieces. Yes. It exploded and made a noise that was similar to that of a nine millimeter unsilenced for those that played uh, uh you know uh, eagle eye um so for me ah. uh yeah you played n64 before this I, I i wanted to get my uh, uh i wanted to get at least one reference in um I appreciate but that. it was the only way i've so far found that i like eggplant is if it's very well deep fried in a, in a parmesan um which i i think i'm fine it's not my first choice to get parmed um or grilled with other like bell peppers, fresh bell peppers on a grill, open flame, nice and charred. Short of that, dude, I think they're trash. They've got no flavor. And you whatever you're making eggplant with is the predominant flavor you're going to get. If you want eggplant parm, uh, you better you better be on a diet or something. Strong, strong anti-eggplant over here. Yeah. I treat eggplant the same way that I treat yellow squash. I think that it has a similar... Oh similar cooking properties. I used to, when I was a uh, extremely poor bachelor, I used to have a lot of grilled squash on this mm. little electric griddle that I used to have in my, in my apartment. And I, I, I had a lot of grilled squash, grilled eggplant. I really, I really enjoyed it. Liam in the comments says one can simply put not muted by Bruce in their bio to show good taste. Good point. That is possible. I got, How an, do you I know, got an entire, I don't, Nate, I don't know if you know this or not. I don't know if you saw it. I went on a muting tirade on social media today about today. muting yeah about muting hmm. and how muting is awesome and everyone should do it as much as possible and <laughs> because somebody said that me muting people was like being in an echo chamber and i said i don't i don't think you know what an echo chamber actually is so we should probably no. talk about this but yes Oh, goodness, Clay. Oh, is, is there a choice between eggplant par and chicken parm? You take the eggplant wrong. Okay. Yep. It's it's yep. not better or worse. It's just different. There's sometimes it's I bad. feel like eggplant. It's, but if you, yeah, but like if you go to a good Italian restaurant and you're at blank and it's a fantastic high-end, really good, solid sauce, like that, that's their specialty. You could you could slather a shoe in sauce, and if it's good sauce, you'll eat it. So of course you'll eat eggplant. But like, who is choosing eggplant over chicken parm, especially a good cutlet, like or a veal? Oh my god, if there's veal on the menu and you choose eggplant, I'm not paying for your Stephen dinner. Stephen Gibson in the that. comments has gone too far. I'd rather eat my own vomit than eggplant. We we've crossed the line, Stephen. We've crossed the line. Anyway, are you deep frying it? Okay. Nate, the point is. I went on this tirade about mute, about muting, right? And it was a whole little thing. I had I had memes, Nate. I had memes. I had gifs. It was it was beautiful. And we eventually came to the conclusion, like Liam said in the comments earlier, that all you got to do to not be muted by Bruce is just don't be a jerk. That's it. Don't be a jerk. Gen generally, it's speaking. that simple. It's 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 real easy. It's real simple. And you know what? That will make sure that you have good taste. You know what else tasted good? Bill's Fins, a victory. 
I will get a victory, a Bills-Dolphins victory. But I got to be honest, Nate, I thought you were going to double hat there. I thought I was, you were going to double hat. It. I, I was thought thinking you were going to put it. the hat over top of the hat right now, just now. I, I, you know, I don't do this enough. I should change halfway through the show. I, my closet like do a costume right change. I yeah, I could change halfway every time the I show. do an ad read. That's that should you got to run yeah. off and do a costume change and come back before I'm done with the ad read. Totally and I'll try to read as fast costume. as possible. Yeah, and it'll be a little little you know, conversation because listen, you're already going to owe me lobster dinner. So there's you know why not just throw another thing that makes this show a little eccentric, right? Okay, that's so, fair. If Bill's Fins was a carbohydrate, you get to pick one carbohydrate to represent your feelings on Buffalo Bills, Miami Dolphins. Nate, what's it going to be? Uh, I thought about this good and hard, and I'm going to go with a wasted cal- uh, a wasted carbohydrate, and that is beer. Um, the reason is, is I love beer. And I love playing the Dolphins, and I wish that Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills could play the Dolphins 16 games a year, or 17 now with the 17-game schedule, because then they would go undefeated, and we would be the 72 Dolphins, and it would be fun to talk about, because the Dolphins stink. They're bad. They're not good. They are below approach, above reproach. They're below reproach. Um, what else, what other saying should we turn around that, that mean good, but what's the opposite of good? Cause the fact of the matter here is Bruce, Brian Flores at nine 11 PM Eastern on the 5th of November, sitting at one and seven after losing twice to the Buffalo bills by a combined score, combined score. It's a lot to a little. It was how many did they score? Did they, did they score 16? Uh, it was points? 61 to 11, right? 61 to 11. And he still has his job. And he's got two offensive coordinators. And he's ruined to a tongue of Viola. And, well, yeah, he's ruined him, but I don't know how much there was there. But again, long story short, give me what I love, which is trolling a fan base who couldn't be the just any more annoying and or filled with. This is my favorite comeback, Bruce. My favorite comeback of all time is, oh, well, at least, at least I don't live in Buffalo. At least I live in South Beach. Like, who cares, man? You think if I want to live in South Beach, I just go live in South Beach. Sorry, Marcel. For me, the thing that I never really understood is somebody who believes that their fandom is somehow intrinsically tied to like their quality of a human being. Like I had an argument with the Chiefs fan goes, well, at least I'm not a fan of a team who sucks. I'm like, okay, first off, the Bills don't suck. But also, at least I'm not a fan of a loser team. Okay, I want to make sure I understand this. So your team won a Super Bowl in the last five years. That makes you better than me. So for example, for example, okay, I almost busted out my Bane impression, Nate, on this guy. Oh, thank God. I almost, and he's like, he's like, well, well hold on now. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Uh, my team's won a Super Bowl. And I almost went, you think this gives you power over me? <laughs> <laughs> Do you feel in charge? Do you, you know, feel was, in charge? Right? <laughs> Do you feel like, how about that right now? I'm, I, I am I am tempted to go back through my mentions, find this dude, quote tweet him now that the Chiefs are on fire, and be like, "Do you feel in charge?" I you know, am, Bruce. I'm tempted. I, I somebody uh, Clay in our in our mentions in our comments right mentions a little point here about hoping by the end of Josh's career, Josh's dominance over Miami equals Brady's dominance over the Bills. And one thing that I yes to that uh, Clay, but also. You know what the one thing that Tom Brady struggled with that Josh Allen isn't struggling with? The Dolphins. Yes. All I'm saying is Brady 
had his worst division record against the Dolphins. It was like 26 and eight or something. It was terrible. It was just, it was not good for Brady. And what of his, what is 30 and one against the Bills or 30 and two against the Bills and ended up being like 26 and eight or something against the Dolphins. Um, you know, I, I think that means that that Josh Allen will be the next Tom Brady. I'm pretty sure. I don't I, make I, the I, rules. I don't make the rules. I don't make the rules. So for me, Buffalo Bills, Miami Dolphins from a carbohydrate standpoint. Yes. To me, it was like bread. And I'll tell you why it was like bread. Love bread. It was the foundational piece of the entire season. Mm. Listen, when all else fails, I can always go back to beating the Dolphins. Yeah. The and breaks off the Dolphins. Right. And, and that's and that's something that I think that makes the foundational. Just like the bread is a foundational piece of the sandwich, I think that Bill's Dolphins the foundational piece of this year. Because if Charles Clay oh could catch God. a little bit better, Josh Allen will have never, ever tasted defeat at the hands of the Miami Dolphins. I want to post Omar Kelly's tweet. I wish, I wish, we, had the, I wish we had the ability. I mean, I can find seven it. Seven and one. Yeah, where he's like, uh, don't don't forget, you can't just conveniently leave out the loss. Like, yeah, I, I, okay, okay, seven and one. Is it better now? <laughs> seven and one, it's better. Dion Pawkins, by the way, amazing, amazing name. Says fandom is about loyalty, not success. It's just the team that you're a fan of is not correlative to your quality as a human being. Sorry, right. I, I, you being a fan of a good team. The problem is we take our identity from this stuff to such a significant degree that we think if the team is good, then we're good. <laughs> and that's not true. If the team is good, you're not a better person. Sorry. <laughs> like Unless you're an Alabama fan. Being, you're not more successful. Oh my gosh, man. My life is going great, Nate. Let me just tell you, okay? Got a promotion at work, okay? <laughs> Found a hot girl. My team's doing really well. Like In, what, in no what? particular order. Yeah, it's just what, like, what? What is this? What? Why actually, do we do this, Nate? Why do we do it's this? The same way you put your favorite team on your on your work resume, Bruce. Wait, do do you do you? Do oh, that? you didn't. You. I, you, I, I don't. Didn't, I don't do that. Well, I, it was because I was applying for the Buffalo Bills flagship station, but that's that makes sense. I just wanted that them makes to know. sense. I wanted them to know. Do you know what I think is going to make a lot of sense? I think Trevor Lawrence against the Bills is going to make a lot of sense, and I'll tell you what I mean by that. Hmm. What I'm looking for schematically against the Jacksonville Jaguars is I'm looking for a rookie quarterback to hold the to ball. look like one. I'm looking for him to hold the ball mm. because the bills have faced a couple quarterbacks who have a real quick trigger. Ben Roethlisberger to a tug of They've faced some quarterbacks who have a tr quick trigger. The quarterbacks who have a longer trigger are typically quarterbacks who are really, really good out of structure. Like for example, Patrick Mahomes has historically been very, very good out of structure this year, a little different, but historically very good out of structure. Trevor Lawrence holds the ball. If there is a chance for this defensive line to get right, get a couple pressures, get a couple sacks, if Gregory Rousseau is going to turn in another multi-sack performance, get his name back in the you know back in the list for hey, here's an up-and-coming defensive rookie. This is a this is a week to do it. That's what I want to see. What I want to see is for the Buffalo Bills to truly understand this week that coverage will grant you pass rush. Mm. If you mm. get coverage, and if you force them to hold the ball, your line will get there. And you know me. I've always been team coverage over team pass rush. Mm -hmm. This has been fairly well documented, mostly because the average time to sack in the NFL is always more, or it's more significant, always. 
than the average time to throw always, which means if you want to get a sack on average, you have to force them to hold the ball. How do you force them to hold the ball? By covering better. Cover down. So field. this to me is an opportunity to prove that. This is an opportunity, a absolutely classic opportunity for the Bills to prove that coverage can help generate you pass rush. It doesn't have to be a quick win right off the line. It doesn't have to be a quote-unquote win by the ESPN pass rush win rate definition of the term win. It can be force you to hold the ball and you could quote unquote lose and win your, you know, win your, um, your attack at 2.7 seconds and still get a sack because Trevor Lawrence held on the ball. So that's what I'm looking for schematically against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Nate, before we bring on our guest, what are you looking for against the Jacksonville Jaguars? Uh, I, I would say more than anything, I don't think there's any one schematic point, any one battle one-on-one, anything like that, that I'm looking for. I, I guess if you would look at the strength of the Jacksonville Jaguars, you would probably say the interior part of that defensive line or just the defensive line as a whole. Josh Allen is a really nice player. That's going to be a weird, like Spider-Man pointing back and forth at each other meme all game. I, I, I would like to maybe get an over under on how many times, that the announcers in this game mention, uh, and it'll be Andrew Catalan, who was uh, just did Bill's game last week on CBS. I, I've got to think in the game plan, there's going to be mention of Josh Allen versus Josh Allen, and it be a pun towards like, is it really a Josh Allen versus Josh Allen, or is it versus Josh Allen versus Josh Allen versus himself? Because the Jaguars are one of the worst pass defenses in the entire league. They Their strength is stopping the run, though. They are a top three unit defensively in yards, um, uh, yards per play given up on the ground. So this is going to be a, a matchup where something I've been complaining a little bit about, which is the Bills' in, just insistence on trying to generate a, uh, some sort of running game. And we've been seeing some of the underlying numbers in neutral pass or in, in, in neutral down situations. The Bills kind of turning to the run more second and long. I think they're the fourth highest percentage of runs on second and long in the league. Um, a lot of that is due to their not as much success or maybe a little less a regression in that first down success that they had last year. Uh, but I know our next guest, Mark Schofield, is going to come on here and we're going to talk a little bit about, A, actually, you know, Bruce, before you and I did this podcast, Mark and I did a podcast together. It's called Intentional Scouting. And we did a full off season where we went through each and every rookie quarterback during the Josh Allen draft. Uh, we went through, we talked about him, we brought people on, we, you know, prognosticated and did the whole thing. And, you know, I sort of miss it. So I felt like this was a good opportunity uh, to bring our guests on and essentially kind of reminisce about all these quarterback, this quarterback lure that we used to talk about. This is a good game for it. And this would be the kind of matchup, Josh Allen versus Trevor Lawrence, that we would probably want to break down. Well, I'm not going to feel awkward at all. I mean, do, do no. you want me just do you want me to just go ahead and leave? I could just leave. Yeah, that'd be fine. This, Am I gonna this, be a this, third wheel? Do you guys need a moment or something? It's gonna get steamy. There's no doubt about it. Okay, excellent. Well, on that note, let's yeah. make sure to fog this mother up. We brought in <laughs> Mr. Mark Schofield, NFL Wire, Pat's Pulpit, BGN Radio, blogging the boys. Used to be a lawyer. Mr. Mark Schofield. How you doing, dude? How are you guys doing? It's great to be with you. Uh Bruce, good to hear you. Nate, good to see you. Good to be it's, here on a Friday night. We're it's fantastic to, to see you, Mark. It's been a while uh, since you and I were zooming it up, talking quarterbacks. You know, I, I, I have you on the show. 
uh, periodically through the season when when the Bills are playing the Pats. Uh, but you are Buffalo's long lost son, so uh, you're you're just you're just a Western New Yorker with a with a Massachusetts accent. It's fine. I think that's exactly right, Nate. I I, I do feel at home. Um, carved out this little Buffalo audience. So that, that means a lot to me. You know, my, one of my favorite sort of running bits of this industry, you you, you guys know Rock Pile Report, Chris. Yep. Um, whenever they have me on, Drew's always so quick to remind me that I'm the only Patriots fan he knows that he doesn't completely hate. And I hear that line a lot, and I get it. I get it from Bills fans. I understand. I'm, I'm not your favorite person, but you guys can tolerate me. Right. And that, frankly, says a lot. So I appreciate it. I think tolerable is really what we're all really gunning That's for. Right. I mean, in the grand really, scheme of things, in the grand scheme of things, you're exactly right, Bruce. In this day and age, if you could just be tolerable to most people, that's an epic win. That's an absolute epic win. So, yeah, I'll take it. Judging from the amount of mutes that I have on Twitter, I'm not entirely sure I'm tolerable to a lot of people. I, I, I asked Twitter. I actually added Twitter. I said, "Is there a limit to this? Like, is there a number that you will no longer allow me?" to mute any more people and i didn't get a response so i'm just gonna keep going until the until the brakes fall off until the I appreciate are completely gone I, there is a art form to muting over blocking because i i do tend to go the block route because i i want them to know that i don't care where bruce is just really vindictive and like they're gonna scream into the void and bruce they're going to think that that Bruce is seeing it and, and sleeping on the things that they're saying. And the funny part is they have no clue that they're muted. Yeah, it's really I, a wonderful a thing because, move. yeah, it, it's a little bit like the Princess Bride where they're in the they're in the dungeon in yep. the tree. And he goes, how does that make you feel? I just sucked one year of your life away. And that's what happens when you spend your time tweeting at me, tweeting at me, tweeting at me, tweeting at me over and over and over again, and you don't get any response. You don't realize that I'm actually sucking pieces of your life away from you. And that is this low level vindictive Bruce that you get. And you know Mark, what? There's a little bit of petty in there. I'm a nice guy and I love everybody. And there's just a little tiny amount of petty, but Mr. Schofield, I have a question. Listen, I just, I just hold oh, on before you even do that, Bruce. I just tell Mark. Usually, the show is not this dark. I just, I wanted, <laughs> no, I wanted. I appreciate to... it, man. I appreciate because I am very much team you. I don't, I, I do not block. I am very much team you. Like, like if you're gonna just come after me, I'll just go ahead and mute you. Like, I, I don't. I'm also a very much a big fan of like mute conversation. Mm, oh like, yeah, like you know, if, game changer. If you put something out there, and the worm immediately turns. Like one of my favorite things to do is like. Go into a Hassan's timeline, see yeah. a random tweet of his. Scroll down to click that like show more like you know show more tweets button, and you'll see like a random tweet about Kirk Cousins has ended up in like deep philosophical conversation about Nietzsche. Like Arif's tweets threads go everywhere. I mean, but there are some conversations where it's just like I can see that worm start to turn. I'm like, you know what? I don't need to be around for this. You guys have fun sorting this one out. We missed just, we missed the boat on this one, Bruce. Well, hold on now. I'm pretty sure it says main course right at the bottom of the screen right now. I didn't miss a main dish. Okay, that's fine. It's right there, main course. I specifically leave the banners at the very beginning blocked out so I don't do this. Anyway, anyway, moving <laughs> along, moving along. Mr. Schofield, thank you so much for joining us here. I want to circle back a little bit, and I want to talk a little bit about Mac Jones as a rookie here. And I want to talk specifically about the fact that unquestionably 
Mac Jones has been the best thus far of the rookie quarterbacks. I don't think anybody, anybody would doubt that at this point. There's a, it's, there's a discussion on who's the second best and that's probably not even much of a discussion. And it's, it's Justin Fields because Zach Wilson has been terrible and then also been hurt and got shown up by Mike White. But I want to ask a little bit about qualitatively how Mac's getting it done. When you look at things like average distance of target, right? You think, okay, he's throwing efficiently, right? He's middle of the pack when it comes to advanced metrics. When, it, when you look at, you know, NEA and you look at PFF grade and you look at CPOE and you look at things like this, right? He's middle of the pack. But when you look at the qualitative stuff, the how is he getting it done stuff, right? Specifically when it looks to average distance of target, I want to ask you, number one, is the method by which he's successful sustainable in Josh McDaniel's offense? Is Josh McDaniel's such that Matt Jones can continue to win in this way? And then also, if you say, okay, they're going to eventually open up the offense for Matt Jones, what does that look like? Opening up the offense for Matt Jones. What does that look like for him knowing that you've got two really, really highly paid tight ends there and one of which has kind of become markedly more important to the offense in Hunter Henry than Janu Smith. Does it involve Janu? Does it involve going out and getting someone? I, we're going to talk on this later. Does it involve going and getting someone like Odell Beckham? What, what, what does opening up the offense look like for Mac Jones and the Patriots? Yeah, and there's obviously a lot to get to with Jones, who, I mean, I think the way to sort of sum up Jones right now, and I was actually talking with Dan Hatman over at the Scouting Academy about Jones. He and I were just having a random conversation on Thursday, and he was like, yeah, Mac's been great, but talk to me in three years. You know, because the thing with Mac Jones was always the floor, right? Like, he had the solid floor, maybe the best floor floor of the five that went in the first round. You know, maybe you would say Trevor Lawrence, you know, he's going to have the better floor. But Jones looked like, look, he's going to be a solid quarterback at the next level. But is he going to be much more beyond that? And so maybe, look, right now, because of his floor and what they have around him, he looks the best of the group. But is that sustainable? Will there be a ceiling that he hits that he can surpass perhaps a ceiling that we thought he had pre-draft? I think the next two years of Mac Jones in many ways might be more interesting than the rookie season for him. Now, what's been interesting about Jones over the past, say, even just the past week, you know, watching his game against the Chargers, you could see signs of growth and development and a willingness to attack downfield more both from coach and from quarterback that wasn't there earlier in the season. There was a play early in that game against the Chargers. You know, he throws this deep over route to Nelson Aguilar on a first and 10. And he's got those two tight ends, Bruce, who you just mentioned, Hunter Henry on a curl route, John Smith on a route to the flat. The curl route is double covered basically because of the way the coverage ends up playing out. John Smith's wide open in the flat. Mac Jones is staring right at it and decides to come off of it, shuffle his feet, climb in the pocket, and throw that deep over route to Nelson Aguilar. The Mac Jones of, say, three weeks ago, two weeks ago, probably doesn't make that throw. He probably looks at John Smith, sees him wide open, just takes it. He's gotten a bit more aggressive, and so you're seeing that sort of development take place over the past couple of weeks. In terms of what an opened-up offense looks like for him, I think given what they have right now, it's still going to be – tight ends up the seams, Hunter Henry up the seams, you know, working those guys in the middle of the field, a lot of the like seam route stuff that we've seen New England do in the past, some schemed up stuff to the outside, you know, 
Kendrick Bourne, for example, Nelson Aguilar, for example. But I think this is still going to be, for now, an offense that even when it gets more vertical, it's still sort of between the hashes. It's still sort of between the numbers. You're really sort of going to attack over the middle, middle of the field, rather than push it at nine balls to the outside. Like Jones can certainly do that. He's had some moments, but I, I think they want to be that sort of seam team with the tight ends. They want to be that sort of crosser team with the receivers as well as with the tight ends of the play action passing game. That's where they want to be. And, you know, they're starting to fill that stuff in, you know, eventually like th- this is what we saw with Brady. And I'm not making a Mac Jones to Tom Brady comparison, but you see the evolution of Brady in the New England offense over the years. It was play action, backs, tight ends. Then 2003, 2004, 2005, 2007, they start opening it up more and more and more. I think you'd see that kind of evolution if things sort of play out the same way. So, Mark, let me ask you this. like In your evaluation of Mac Jones during his – you know, dur- during the draft process to now, what are some of the things you notice that he's been able to elevate about his game? Because here's the interesting part about my sort of thought process about Mac Jones coming out is limited sample size. And that is always going to hurt an evaluation process is not having a large sample size to go off of. Whereas when you think about the, the, the back to back to back Alabama quarterbacks that are all now playing in the NFL and, and Jalen hurts, in um in Tua Tunga Viola and obviously in Mac Jones, there was this level of similarity in their games, short of Hertz, who is really just kind of the, the outlier here and Uber athletic and really at, at the next level in the NFL really does need to rely heavily on RPO, just like I think Tua does. And that's really where I'm finding Mac to be the most interesting of all of these quarterbacks, is the 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 maybe the lack of need to make him an RPO heavy style quarterback. He can exist in phase. He can read a defense. He can get whole field reads. You're talking about processing from the second to the third level, being able to move past the second and third read to get to his, his vertical threat. I I guess my question here, what, what went so right early here for Mac where it hasn't gone right at all for Tua, because I view them if, if Tua is right-handed, they are, they look a lot alike. And you yeah. had the same questions you had about Tua that you did with Mac, which is what can we really take away from wide receivers that are running five yards of separation against inferior opponents that are number one picks and Heisman Trophy winners? Like, how much that, that's a really difficult ask for evaluators to get you a true picture on both guys. Similar, uh, Tua had a little bit larger of a sample size, but like when you look at the two guys, how has Mac been able to elevate so soon, short of it just being as simple as better coaching, which it could just be as simple as that, by the way? Yeah, I mean, I do think there's that. I also think for Tua now in his second year in the NFL, he's in his second NFL system, right? You know, he was a different offense last year under Chan Gailey. Now you've yep. got the two sort of co-offensive coordinators. So it's really three offenses in three years, whereas Mac. you know, you look at the Alabama offense last year and what he's running now. Yeah, they're two different offenses, but – you know, so there's at least a little bit more consistency with, with Mac right now. Two is now on his third system. The other thing that's interesting about Mac is, you know, when you watched him at Alabama, even though they did RPO stuff, even though they did play action stuff, a lot of it was RPO and downfield, play action and downfield. It wasn't, you know, so much of what Tua did was RPO glance rpo skinny rpo slant they really let mac jones sort of attack downfield a little bit more i mean he was attacking downfield sort of in the passing game like 
is, you know, when you looked at his like average depth of target in college, it was 8.3. I mean, that, that, that was pretty deep as to, in terms of how college is played these days. You watch most college offenses and really everything's sort of in that five to eight yard range, sometimes even shallower. You get so many screens and tunnels and smokes, you know, they were letting him attack downfield when he would work off of play action. It's, you know, Waddle on an over route or, you know, Mechie on a go or Devonta Smith on a vertical route. And so you're going to need more time to sort of read and process that stuff out, you know, whereas opposed to say RPO glance, RPO slant, it's just, I'm reading that Mike linebacker. I'm reading that will linebacker. Yeah. If he crashes, I'm pulling and throw and it's just an easier read. You're not really processing it out coming off of an RPO. What's the safety doing? What's the corner? What's his leverage and things like that. So it's a different sort of, way to read the field it's a different sort of ask of the quarterback and i think that what mac jones was doing last year put him in a position to sort of be successful i mean the other thing we know about mac jones and we knew this you know it was cliched of course but football nerd football like playbook gym rat like whatever you want to call it you know when they brought people in to learn the alabama offense like bill o'brien or whomever they sat him down with mac jones you know they sat mm. him down with mac jones to to sort of learn the system, to teach the system. When you saw him against Notre Dame in yeah. the semifinal, right? You know, the other thing that Mac had was an understanding of protections, their weaknesses, and how to get ahead of potential breakdowns and protection. Early in the game, he had that, I think it was a second and four play. Notre Dame bl- brought an off-ball linebacker blitz. He knew they couldn't get it blocked up. So instead of handing in the pocket and trying to make a throw, he immediately started to sort of spin away from pressure to get away from that blitz. He's got, and New England's letting them set protections and things like that. They trust their quarterbacks doing that out of the gate. And so I think that's also helped him understand offenses, understand weaknesses up front, get ahead of problems. He's had some scrambles that have actually been impressive. And so those are the things that really sort of have put him in a position to be where he is right now. So uh, you mentioned something there, Mark, that I thought was really interesting about how, how, I guess within the own within the program at Alabama was sort of respected as this guy that like, okay, we got to get a new offensive coordinator up to date on this, on this offense, just send him over to Mac Jones. Do you buy some of the rumors about him knowing the offense more than Cam Newton did in this training camp, knowing it's the same system that Cam had played in the entire year before. And Mac Jones is walking in there with what, you know, two months of understanding and like maybe a couple of days a couple of weeks of actual on-field application. Like, are you buying that? Because when you said that, it's the first thing that 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 first thing that popped in my head was, oh, I remember the offseason where one of the excuses here was, well, we got to cut Cam, or well, we're going with Mac Jones, and Mac Jones was teaching Cam Newton the playbook. I I I wonder if you buy that. I don't really necessarily buy that, Nate. Like, I I think what probably was happening was Mac was ahead of where they thought he would be. Mm-hmm. Mac was ahead from an understanding of the playbook to. Uh, standpoint of where they thought he would be that they felt comfortable enough going ahead with him. And I I really think the move away from cam, you know, was a burn the boats moment, right. Mm. You know, to sort of use a historical reference, because if you keep cam, there's going to be questions. If, if you keep cam and you lose week one, there's going to be, well, do do you go to cam? Do we panic? Do we make the wrong move? There's, there's no debate. Like there was no discussion in the New England area after week one, losing to the Dolphins. Do we go to Brian Hoyer? It, no, you, you burn the boats. We are moving on. This is our guy. We will sink or swim with Matt Jones. I really think that's why they did it more than anything else. So 
as you look upon the evolution of this Patriots offense, and as we talk about opening up, as we talk about how far Mac Jones has come and his floor, if you want to tap into that ceiling, it seems odd for me to be asking this, given the free agent dollars that New England threw around this past offseason at Kendrick Bourne, at Nelson Aguilar, at Hunter Henry, at Johnu Smith. It seems weird. Do they need more? The Buffalo Bills said, we need more. It was it was George Clooney from Ocean's Eleven, where he looked over, Brandon Bean looked over at Sean McDermott and he goes, you, you think we need one more? I think more? we need another guy. I, I, th- I, think, I think, okay, we'll get one more. And then they went yeah. and got Stephon Diggs. Yeah. Do the Patriots need one more, or can they can they open up within the offense with the personnel they've got? You know, that's that's a tricky question, Bruce. I mean, I, I think you know, guys like you know, Bourne and Aguilar and Myers, they're all very nice wide receiver two, wide receiver three types. Like I, I still think that, yeah, they need that sort of alpha type wide receiver one that Third and seven, you know he's going to be open, or if he's not, it's because he's gotten doubled or tripled, and that's created an advantageous matchup elsewhere. Now, of course, the reason why this comes up is Odell, and you know I think there's a lot of discussion right now. You know, would they go get Odell? Would they have a situation here where you would add Odell to this roster, to this offense, talent-wise? I think Odell is still in a, a very talented wide receiver who is still getting open. Whether it's the video that started all this controversy, whether it's the Seth Galita video that he put out uh, for Pro Football Focus just earlier this evening, Odell's still getting open. For whatever reason, 6-13 and 13 out in Cleveland could not get on the same page. I, I think there's an opportunity to add Odell to any team and he can contribute. I think when you look at what the Patriots have in place, you could use Odell as more of the vertical threat, the backside big guy that Cleveland was using him for. And Jones will throw those routes right now. For whatever reason, Baker's not – when they've got Odell on that backside dig and he's looking at three-receiver concept to the front side, yep. he's not getting to the backside. He's just for whatever reason, Baker this season is not getting there. I don't know if it's his, his injury or what, but he's not sort of getting there. There have been times when there have been opportunities to throw designed concepts to Odell. He wasn't pulling the trigger. So there's, there's clearly a 6-13 problem that wouldn't be there. In New England, it wouldn't be there in Detroit, wouldn't be there in any of these other organizations, Jacksonville, that have been bandied about as potential landing spots for Odell. So it wouldn't surprise me if New England would would entertain that notion. I do think they would love to have another weapon if they don't add a receiver of Odell's ilk right now. It wouldn't surprise me if they dip back into the you know draft market, first round, second round, early next draft, and try to get that guy. Mark, before I let you go, I've got a bring us back a little bit um, and, and think about when, uh, when we broke down Josh Allen back down in, uh, in 2018 in that, uh, in that spring. And, and I think about where he's been, where he's come along. And I'm wondering, you know, through the first couple of games this season, um, I think there's a level of, uh, he's not been as good or as maybe lethal at times as he was last year. I think though, and and I don't know. I know I know that you watch him enough to have an opinion on this. I I guess my thought on this, Mark, is I like that there hasn't been as much variance this year. Meaning there hasn't been these really bad lows or these bad throws where he makes that one where it's you know instead of that being one throw a year last year, you know you'd get that once a week where you'd get that throw where he almost throws it into the hands of a of a, a defender or overthrows his you know, his running back coming out of the backfield by 15 yards, like it just bad, embarrassing throws. Like 
those are gone. And I think the variance, we're seeing more of this instead of this big peaks and valleys, the Seahawks game compared to the Jets game where they can't score a touchdown against the worst defense in the league, but then they they go at home against Seattle and he throws for 400 yards and four touchdowns. Like we're not seeing as much of the highs anymore, but we're also not seeing those low of lows. What have you seen this year that maybe you've seen either in and and as as an improvement or a development trait of Allen? Because the one thing I will say about the kid is he's a good self-evaluator. And I think Jordan, Jordan Palmer helps a lot in this. If he goes into the offseason and says, Jordan, this is what we're working on this, this winter. They work on it. They make the applications and you see differences the next year. He's one of those very rare breeds that self scouts, but makes changes that are noticeable the next season. So his evolution as a quarterback, I, I still think we're going to see the ceiling, maybe just kind of pop up, pop up, pop up because he is such a good self-evaluator. Yeah, I would, I would, Nate, I pretty much agree with all that. I mean, I, I think you're right. He's been more steady Eddie this year than anything else. Um, you know, watching him week in and week out, watching that Miami game, you know, on Monday morning, I was still impressed with a lot of the stuff that he did in that game because, you know, I, I saw a lot of Bills fans, you know, Bills Twitter was kind of saying, you won ugly, you know, it wasn't the best performance overall, particularly coming off the bye. Sometimes you got to win that way in the NFL particularly divisional game, particularly against a team that's kind of got its own backup against the wall. And there's yep. a lot of concerns down in Miami, but I thought, look, you know, he made some good reads and good throws in that game. You know, I, I love that seam route throw he had to Beasley. Oh, yeah. You know, that was the first and 10 of the second quarter where, you know, he's calling up the guy that jumped off sides. He's using his eyes. And that's, I think the thing that has really sort of stood out to me about Allen this year is the use of the eyes, the subtle manipulation. You saw that in the chiefs game as well, where he's, you know, he's moving people with his eyes. He's moving people with pumps, with shoulder shrugs and things like that. And then you, when you tie that to the arm talent that he has, it makes him so difficult to defend. Now, teams are doing some things to them that, you know, Leslie Frazier is doing to other teams, right? You're, you're seeing some too high stuff. You're seeing some, like, box count stuff where they – I know Buffalo's tried to go with some RPO stuff. Teams are muddy in that pre-snap look with the mm -hmm. box count, trying to get him to hand it off or trying to make that a tougher decision to make him think of that mesh point. Should he pull and throw? Should he hand it off? So I know there are some things that they're seeing – for the first time this year or things that they haven't seen as much of in years past, you know, that's part of the, you know, defensive coordinators get paid too. But I think the, in years past, and even last year, you remember that stretch sort of early, like that second third of the season, right? That middle third of the season where you had the loss to the Titans, you had the loss to the Chiefs, and it was – they couldn't figure out some zone coverage stuff. Yeah. He wasn't trusted what he was doing. You saw some lows during that stretch. You're not seeing those lows right now, even when defenses are making some adjustments over the course of the season and, and forcing them to do some different things. And so I think that's a very good sign for Josh Allen. Going into this season, people would ask me, people would ask me, like, you know, what do you want to see from Allen? And I said, look, I don't want to see like a multi-game stretch like we saw in that sort of stretch last year where it took them a while to figure it out. And look, when they figured it out, they took off, right? You had the game against Denver. You had the second game against New England where the game against the 49ers might have been my favorite one where it was like, yep. yeah, they're seeing zone coverage now, the stuff that was giving him fits, and he's ripping it to shreds. I don't want to see it take three, four, five weeks to figure it out. I want it to be like a one- to two-week thing, and I think that's what they're working through right now. Listen, super quick. I, 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 one of the things that I think I've been most impressed with with Allen over the last two years, Mark, has been his ability to both win in phase, but also off schedule. And yeah. what, and one of the big things in focus right now with Patrick Mahomes is 
Andy Reid wanting to see more of those in-phase concepts because he's designing this offense, understanding that the best part of his offense is that he has Patrick Mahomes who can break off the principles of that offense to be able to have that that success down the field. Now that they're not having that success, there's a lot of criticism. There's a lot of eyes on Patrick Mahomes in phase. And I think that's the one thing with Josh Allen right now that I'm seeing is he is just as good inside his three-step, his five-step, his seven-step game as he is when he's got to break out of the pocket. And we're seeing them. He is so diverse in how he beats teams 20, 25, 30, 50 yards down the field. He can do it inside the pocket and he can do it out of the pocket as well. Yeah, it's a great point, Nate. And, you know, I think the situation in Kansas City, there, there's a lot of things that are going on there. I think it really starts with the defensive side of the ball. Um, but the the way you sort of can sort of crystallize it is Mahomes is back at Texas Tech. He thinks he has to win every game 54-48, yeah. you know, because that defense can't stop anybody. So he's sort of reverted to if it's third and eight, and I don't trust what I'm seeing with my eyes or my initial reads double covered. I have to run around and make something happen. I can't throw it away. You know, but with Allen, look, I've I've often said that at some point in the NFL, you're gonna have to make a throw on third and seven from the pocket. Like you're just mm-hmm. gonna have to do that. Allen's got that card now. He's got that club in the bag, and he's had it in the bag for a while. But he can also look, he doesn't have to. And I think this is the biggest thing that was my fear with Allen coming out that he sort of tampered down as much as he needs to, but he still has the ability to draw on it when he has to is it used to be when he was in college and early in his career, the plan B was just, I'm going to run around and make something happen. I'm going to run to the right. I'm going to vacate the pocket to the right. And I'm going to make a ridiculous throw and it's going to work. It worked at Wyoming against Mountain West competition worked at times early in his career. Now that's a plan D that's a plan E it's a plan F like now he's much more comfortable. My first reads not there. I've got two, I've got three, I've got outlet, I've got check down, whatever. And okay. If it's not there at this point, I can still extend with my legs, keep the eyes downfield to make something happen. It's not an immediate first read. Isn't there? I'm panicking. I'm running around and trying to make something happen. He can still work through stuff from the pocket with that arm talent. That's the mental side of his game. The Jordan Palmer work, the offseason work, the Brian Dable work with him as well. You know, that has allowed him to sort of read things out when he has to bail when he can create when he can gives you the best of both worlds. Ladies and gentlemen, Mark Schofield, thank you so much for being here, Mark. I really appreciate it. Um, I think that the Patrick Mahomes point is very well taken. I think this is the player that you thought you were going to get if you were a little bit nervous about Mahomes coming out in the draft. If you thought he was a second-round prospect who needed a lot of work, then this is the what you were worried you were going to get from Patrick Mahomes. You it's were crazy that it took get. this long. Yeah, and, and that, that's, it's, Super Bowl. <laughs> it's truly amazing. So, yeah. Mark, thank you so much for being yeah, here. Before man. we get out of here, tell everybody where they can find you, where they can catch more of your work because they need to. Yes. Well, guys, I appreciate the kind words. Always a blast. Appreciate you both. Um, at Mark Schofield on the Bird app, uh, USA Today's Touchdown Wire, uh, Big Blue View, Blue and Green Nation, um, blogging the boys over at SB Nation, Matt Waldman's uh, Quick Game RSP podcast, uh, but mostly on Twitter. Uh, you get the three throws videos that I do each Monday working through stuff. There's Odds are you're going to see a Josh Allen one each Monday because he's one of the first quarterbacks I sit down and study each Monday morning because it's a ton of fun to watch. But the easiest way to follow along is on the Twitter, on the Bird app, at Mark Schofield. Awesome. Thanks so much, man. Thanks Thanks so much, guys. Have a good one. Appreciate you. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. 
Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Prop G Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mark Schofield. We've been on a a roll, dude. Yeah. We've been on a roll with guests who just make me feel like maybe I should hang it up. Like maybe I should just retire. But Mark is really good in that, you know, when I, when I linked up with Mark back in 2018 and I, you know, I, I had a passion for watching quarterbacks. It's, I played quarterback and I, I, one of the, my, my favorite things about the position, particularly when I got to the college level was the film aspect of it and watching film and understanding what keys I need to be watching during a seven on seven practice session, right? Like th- things that really get down to that granular level. And when I met Mark, I was learning things from him. Like I was learning from my, my coach in college who my coach in college was the quarterbacks coach for the university of Cincinnati with Brian Kelly and was Tony Pike's quarterback coach. And as a sugar bowl ring. And like, he had been the most credentialed coach that I'd ever been in front of. I've been around and I got a full year and a half spring ball and a full season um, to be around that, to soak that in. And I felt like I was sort of right back in the room um, when when I met Sko and we, we started kind of talking about the quarterback position. And I remember very vividly talking about Josh Allen, talking about the quarterbacks in that class. And and the things we talked about with Allen, I, I'm, I'm, I'm always really interested to kind of hear – hear Mark talk about it because he's the one guy that if you're going to look outside of Buffalo that can really bring content um, that actually does his homework, that watches Allen as much as all of us do, it's Mark. And, and, and he has a really good understanding of, Hey, I was in, I was on a Buffalo radio station doing a, a, a you know, a, a multi-series special podcast about the quarterback class. And we did a full hour and a half episode about Josh Allen with John Ledyard. And I remember it like it was yesterday in that episode and, and all of the concerns we had and thinking about where Mark's head was and his space was back in 2018 compared to where it is now in 2021. It's, it's a fun evolution for somebody I really respect that, that, that really brings that, that, that film grinding aspect, um, that we all love about a lot of people here in this in this uh, content creating community. So if you've got questions, takes, or comments for Nate and I, and you are in the comment section, now is the time. So go ahead and load those things up. We'll get to as many as humanly possible. They can be football. They can be food. They can be frolicking. Whatever you'd like to talk about. I, in the meantime, I'm going to go to the mailbag. Nate, this is a question I got for the Bruce exclusive. And I didn't have time to really look through it the way I wanted to, but now I kind of did. And I want to, I want to chat with you a little bit about it. And okay. it came from, it came from Jesse and Jesse has to ask me a little bit about the Buffalo Bills offensive line okay. relative to other Super Bowl champions. He's trying to figure out if the quality of the offensive line is a concern for a team who want to win a Super Bowl. So I got this in and I thought about your tweet. That happened after the trade deadline and that you were hopeful that hmm. the bill's failure to address 
or add bodies to the offensive line at the trade dud line. Dud line. Dud line. Super nice. You were hopeful that that would not cause any problems for the Buffalo Bills moving forward. And so what Jesse says is, where would you rank the offensive line right now? Like, how do you feel about it in general? And how does that compare to Super Bowl winners over the past 10 years? So let's, let's go through the list of Super Bowl winners okay. over the last 10 years. So Tampa Bay. Good offensive line. Kansas City, 2019. Good offensive line. New England Patriots, 18. Tooney, Trent Brown, good offensive line. Philadelphia Eagles 17. Good offensive oh, line. Oh, fantastic offensive line. That's the whole that was that was the Patriots the, 16. Good offensive same line. Same thing. Good offensive line. Yep. Broncos 15. Pretty solid offensive line. Solid. Fine. Solid. Patriots 14. Perfectly reasonable offensive line. Yep. Seahawks 13. Defensively built team. Not a great but, offensive line. But not awesome at the yep. time. Ravens 2012, perfectly reasonable offensive line. Yeah, I had Joe Flacco, immovable. Yep, okay. Giants, 2011. Eh. I'm not memorable. Not not great, but not, yeah. not, not bad. It was fine. Packers, 2010. Reasonable. Reasonable, I the, yeah. I think the three worst offensive lines in the last 10 Seahawks. years were Seahawks, Packers, Giants. Yep. So I'd say seven... Of the last 10 were better than the Buffalo Bills line is now. Would you agree with that? They're probably the worst offensive line of the decade in terms of teams. If they were going to be, if they were going to win a Super Bowl and they won, I would look at that and say the last decade, they'd have the worst offensive line to win a Super Bowl. Now, the second follow-up question there was assuming the line play doesn't improve. How does that influence Buffalo Super Bowl prospects? Who are you playing in the Super Bowl? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly you, right. Who are you playing? Are you Bowl? are you playing the Rams? Cause I'm scared. Are you yeah. playing the Buccaneers? Cause I'm scared. Are you playing the Packers? Way less scared. I mean, good, but not a great defensive line. Um, what's another good NFC team? There's a lot of good Dallas. Oh, pretty good. I mean, like Randy Gregory has really actually turned into something pretty nice, but they don't have like, you know, studs across that defensive line. Um, I think there are two teams I'm looking at that probably have the best likelihood of being the NFC's representation in the Super Bowl, and both are concerning for me. Yeah, you could see against the Bills what you saw last year against the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, I understand that the Bills probably are not going to have multiple starters missing because that's just incredibly unlucky is what the chiefs ran into, but that was a game that was dictated by the chiefs failure to be able to project. And I think that's a reasonable thing to think about. Now the bills offensive line is not bad. It, it's not bad. It's just not no. good. right. It's somewhere in the middle. I think depending on who you're talking to, it could be 16th, 14th, 18th, somewhere in that ranking, depending on how you're qualifying the ability. Now, Josh Allen is consistently making this offensive line in general look better. Oh, now, there are good better. players on this offensive line. I think Deion Dawkins is playing well. I think Mitch Morse is playing well. But I, I think the guard play specifically Williams is something playing that, well. It, so he's what? playing. He's I think Daryl Williams has solidified their right guard position. Like I can take 
him at right guard. Uh, but I, I, what I need, Bruce, is I need Daryl Williams to be your 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 weak spot at guard, and right. and I'd be good with Daryl Williams being the weak link on that offensive line. His final follow up question is: On the other hand, how likely is it that our line will improve to the level of past Super Bowl winners? Unlikely. Mm, I'll say, I'll say uh, uh, unlikely. Now I will say Spencer Brown, because he's a rookie, you don't know how he's going to be playing at the end of the year. He could be playing markedly better than he is now. So Spencer Brown, the second eight games could look very different than Spencer Brown. The first eight games, especially since he's actually playing now. So the best way to get better is by playing. So for Spencer Brown, if he gets to 75%, as good as Daryl Williams was last year at right tackle, that's a huge win, which means now you only have really one significant weak point, and it's whoever's playing left guard at that point. And then you, then you kind of hold on and you hope for health. So that was my mailbag question for this week, and I want to touch one. base with it. Yeah, I thought so too. We got some comments. Liam, do you see the Titans implementing running back by committee with Henry out for the season? Absolutely, yes. Absolutely. I think McNichols is continuing to be a third down back. I think you'll see Adrian Peterson sprinkled in on first and second. Yeah, but there's no way they're going to give somebody one running back the amount of touches they were giving Derrick Henry. No, but I could see AP getting the lion's share. I could see him getting 65, 70% of the the touches in the backfield. Now, touches versus snaps, very different thing. I think you'll probably see a pretty close 50, 55, 45 type of route for Peterson. But the reason that I think Peterson made a lot of sense for them stylistically not a lot changes. They could turn around an eye formation and hand the ball off to Adrian Peterson, who's going to run downhill. And that's how their offensive line is built. Their, their offensive line and that offensive system, the way they run the football, that's not built for a LaShawn McCoy. It's not built for a guy that's going to waste yardage trying to create more downfield. Like they want somebody who is shot out of a, of, out of a cannon, out of the, out of the dot of the eye. And someone's going to get downhill. Um, and that's Adrian Peterson. So I, I do think that in terms of stylistic, there's probably not a lot of other options that could be as close to Derrick Henry downhill physical runner that that AP is. He's just he's an angry runner. Um, at this point in his career, though, I mean, I don't I have no idea what you're getting at Adrian Peterson right now. 3.9 yards a carry with Detroit last year. So that's, that's not bad. Not not terrible. Ryan says, I'm team coverage. Welcome, Ryan. And Suck constantly up. want an upgrade to TV2. Yes, me too. However, Levi seems to be having a solid year. How do you both feel about his play this year? He's fine. I think about him once a game. He's always been reasonable. He always will be reasonable. There will always be moments where the defense makes a concerted effort to go after him, and you're going to wonder if a particularly physically gifted player is going to get the best of him. You worry about it being Devontae Parker. You worry about it being players who have speed. When you are a suboptimal athlete, the concern is always going to be optimal athletes. Yep. And that's the way I am with, with Levi Wallace. As long as I don't have optimal athletes who are w- paired with good quarterbacks, then I don't really worry about them too much. But the problem is every couple games, you run into an optimal athlete and a good quarterback, and that's when I start to worry about Levi Wallace. Richard Rush says, what's the most unusual thing you've had or put on a burger? Ooh. Mine is shrimp. What a great, absolutely great question mr richard rush thank you so much for that question nate do you want to take this one first yeah um i put a burger between two pancakes okay that counts i've had a donut burger 
Ooh, the, yeah. the burger between two glazed donuts. Yep, I've had that. That's solid. Um, I've had alligator on my burger. Uh, I had a I had a gator burger, which I thought was wide, fun. But like, if you're making a gator burger, why not just make the meat gator meat instead of putting gator on top of ground beef? I just think that's a waste of. I it's just think the same reason you would put like bacon on a burger. You want something fried and crispy on top of it. So like, what is what is what is the consistency of gator? Is it like? Oh, you've never had gator? No, I would never eat gator. Okay, so ga- gator, you know, I, they joke around. It tastes like chicken. It doesn't really taste like chicken. Um, it's salty. It, it's got a little chew to it. Um, it. The way that I had it, it was it was basically deep fried gator bites mm. on a burger, and it was it was good. I was down with it. Try yeah. everything once, twice if you like it. I love it. The guy the guy turns up his nose at, 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 at gator, but also eggplant. Eggplants off the table, gators off the table. Yep. He's completely off the table. Yep, that's right. I don't I don't try everything once. If if I don't want to try it, I just don't try it. Matt says, How does this line, this year's line compared to last year's? They held up well against the Rams last year. Yes. The Rams didn't have Von Miller last year. They did um, not. So that's but they a, that's did have uh who's their the big guy that they lost? Uh the kid they got from the from the Bears. He was a nice little piece for them. He, uh, he had from, he was from Georgia. Long yeah, Lo- Floyd, uh, Leonard Floyd, Leonard Floyd liked his game last year. Listen, everyone's gonna look good when Aaron uh, when Aaron Donald's in the center of the uh, at play, you know, playing in the middle of that defense. Like the edges tend to get n- not it doesn't get a lot of uh, doesn't get a lot of love uh, because there's you've got three guys that are all communicating in the middle trying to slow down. Aaron Aaron Donald so like I, anyone's gonna look good on the edge and now I think Von Miller is close to the end but I still think they're getting a pretty darn good player you so know what that means yeah so just coming into the stream can someone please tell me why Boogie is on the bench while Butler is playing they play different positions there you go that's it that one, that, that was easy Boogie's an end Butler's yeah. a tackle and they really didn't play boogie inside essentially at all. Yeah, they don't. It, it that the idea about behind boogie was that you could. They just have not really even shown that they want to. I mean, you're not wrong. They haven't so, shown it at all. Oh, they haven't. They showed it in the preseason a little bit, but they haven't shown it at basically at all. So <clears throat> boogie Basham has been active for mm-hmm. two games so far this year. Two games in the these two games he has played a grand total of six snaps yeah he's got outside outside of end positions that's Mm. it okay he played four snaps in week four inside and two snaps in week five inside that's it that's all you got from boogie basham so there it is Liam says Gator is similar to Calamari. I like which Gator I also better. hate. Which I also I hate. think Calamari has. I don't like the texture of Calamari. Um, it's it's a little bit slimy for me. Um, Gator has a little bit more chicken chew to me. I think I think that there are people out there. I think there's a very reasonable possibility that the Venn diagram for people who like Calamari and people who like Gator is not a circle. Hmm. I think that there's plenty of people out there who could yeah, not like who could not like Calamari and like Gator or not like Gator and like cal- Calamari. So. Yeah, both both could both could go right where eggplant is in the trash or blown up in my grill. 
Yeah, well, okay. You blow up a gator in your grill. I want to. I want to see that. You, you, okay. you can come. You can come to that party. Are you making lobster? Because you're gonna owe me one. I'm. Not, I wouldn't make you lobster. I'm. I'll buy you lobster, like a gentleman. I appreciate that. Yeah. All right, wrapping it up. Digestive. We've eaten. We've had dessert. It's time for some coffee. We're gonna talk about winners and losers this week in the NFL, and we gotta start. We gotta start with Odell Beckham. Now here's yeah, the question. To. Here's my here's my here's my question to you. Nate, you and I have different opinions on Odell Beckham. I want to ask you right now, is Odell Beckham a winner or a loser this week? Winner. Why? He's a winner for me. Um because he gets out of a situation that I believe was not good for him. I believe it's the same situation that Stefan Diggs found himself in just two short years ago in the exact same system, Bruce, which is a system that does not it's not conducive to number one wide receivers. And, you know, I, I look at Justin Jefferson last week, you know, two two catches last week. Um, there's going to be games where when you're behind, you need to throw the football when you're behind. The, the Browns are a run first football team. And even so, they cannot find a semblance of a passing game outside the numbers. So I think for me, the biggest disappointment has been Baker Mayfield's inability to get the ball to Odell Beckham and let him do his thing. Now he's definitely not the player he was three or four or five years ago. No, no one has said that, but he's getting open to, as Mark said earlier in the program. Um, it's not like he's get, you know, getting the ball thrown to him. He's dropping the football a lot. It just has not worked um, in Cleveland. And I think he's going to get to go to a place now, wherever he goes, I think will be a better situation for a wide receiver. I, if I were the Browns, I would consider, not really making very many moves at the wide receiver position. They spent a lot of money on Austin Hooper. They could let him go. They don't need playmakers on the outside because they've got two running backs that 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 are the majority of that offense. And I, I'm not sure that any legitimate number one wide receiver would look at Cleveland as a, as, as a place that they would voluntarily go. It reminds me a lot of the Bills of the 2000s and the and the 2010s, right? Where it seemed like they're just in a situation where they're they don't care to throw the football and they have a quarterback that isn't finding people open with the football. So yeah, I think I think he's a winner. I think the Browns are the biggest loser um because they're once again kind of a disappointment. Coming into Lamar Jackson's second season in the NFL. One of the discussions that they had was maybe you might have to draft a receiver because no receiver's going to want to voluntarily sign there as a free agent in a run focused offense. So maybe you're going to have to draft somebody. The Ravens did. They drafted Marquise Brown. Mm -hmm. But now, of course, Lamar Jackson's evolved. That offense has evolved. Better passing game. Rashad Bateman comes in as a draft pick. But now, all of a sudden, you know, if you're a free agent wide receiver, if you're Sammy Watkins, for example, you're like, yeah, sure. Yeah, I'll sign up to go there. I'll absolutely do that. Kevin, as a side note, real fast, says, Bruce, which number is higher? NFL season single rushing record or the number of accounts you have muted? Right now, right now, the single season NFL rushing record is slightly higher than the Only number of slightly. accounts Only I have slightly. muted. We're getting there though, soon, very soon. So I'm going to say Odell Beckham is a loser this week. He's a loser this week. And here's the reason why I'm going to say that. It's not because I disagree with anything you say. I don't think Odell's ever going to make the kind of money he would have made if he would have stayed put. Hmm. And so from a financial standpoint, I think the idea being that He's now got to go to some place if he does get claimed. Now, the Cleveland Browns restructured his contract to the point where he's now going to be a free agent at the end of this season. And 
whoever team whoever team claims him is going to have to pay him seven and a half million dollars for the rest of the year. So that decreases the chance of him getting claimed, which is good for him because he wants to be able to pick his team. But he's not going to make the kind of money that he was making before. And I don't right. think his market is going to be what the remaining years of his deal would have been if he would have stuck it out. So he's got about a year and a half to prove that he can get one more significant contract. And I don't know if he does. So because you got to find someone who's willing to give you eight to 12 targets a game. And I don't think he's going to find that just lying around. So for me, I'm going to say loser because I think, I think this could have a chance to be a absolutely catastrophic financial decision for him. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. He's betting on himself, which has gone really well for Flacco in the past, but we'll see. We'll see. We will see. I, I think you can make the case that he's a winner or a loser this week. I just happened to see financially. Listen, I, I mean, at this point, you're probably right. He's a loser financially, but I think the situation that he'll be in is going to be better. So I guess it's for him what he cares more about. And I think it's very clear he cares more about being in a situation uh, where the, where he's, and, and as Stefan Dick says, right, a mentally good place. And I feel there's a good chance he hasn't been. And and we'll see if that if that makes a big difference for him. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for being here. Thank you for swinging by. I hope you had a good time. As always, I ask that you rate, review, subscribe, like, comment on the YouTube, do all the engagement things that we love when you do so much. Thank you for joining us. I hope you had a good time. For Nate Geary, I am Bruce Nolan. Thanks for stopping by Food for Thought, and I hope you didn't leave hungry.